Hello again, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Formula Fun podcast. So, Fernando is back. That's right. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the returning Fernando Alonso, who announced yesterday he will be back in Formula One for next season with Renault, for whom he has raced twice in his career already, making this his now third time to race with the team. So, why is this such a big deal? What makes him so good? And why is he one of the most controversial figures ever in the history of the sport? Stick around, let's talk about it. So just who is Fernando Alonso? Um, I broke it down here into basically the two most important things that you need to know about Fernando to kind of understand why his return to Formula One in 2021 is such a big deal. The first and most important, I, I think it is most important, especially just from a purely fan and enjoyment perspective of the sport, is that he is um, unequivocally one of the best drivers in the history of the sport. This is an opinion of not just fans, but other drivers, team principals, engineers, everyone who has ever been around Fernando talks about his talent as a racing driver being, um, if not um, on par with Lewis Hamilton and people like uh, Ayrton Senna and Michael Schumacher, almost said Mikhail Schumacher, because I do that all the time on the podcast, um, maybe even unequaled by those drivers. He might be, across a single lap, even better or faster than some of those people on his best day. So that's the first thing to understand about him. He's won two world championships already with Renault, actually, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, He was very close to winning something like three or four or even five world championships, three of which would have come with Scuderia Ferrari um, in the late 2000s or uh, 2010s, I believe, early 2010s. And we'll get into that a little bit too. So that's the first and most important thing to know about Fernando. Double world champion, um, just one of the most prolific and successful racing drivers of all time. And so that is worth celebrating in the sense that he's coming back to the sport and bringing with him this clout. You know, for, for the when he left in 2018, a lot of the discussion surrounding his departure kind of centered around whether or not it was just bad for the sport that he wasn't in the sport because he is so good that the sport just lost one of its best drivers. Does that diminish the sport? It would be almost as if, you know, you could imagine that all of a sudden the the New York Yankees didn't compete in MLB for two seasons and then decided to come back or something. I don't know if that's a very apt analogy, but something along those lines. So um, he's also, unfortunately, one of the most controversial drivers ever. 
Okay. And there's several reasons for this, of which we will go into some detail. He is difficult to get along with as a teammate for one thing. He has been in the past openly critical of his team to the media um, or on the radio during races to the extent to where Honda, for example, refuses to work with Fernando Alonso anymore. He has burned almost every bridge except for Renault that he's ever crossed in his career, in, in, in Formula One and, and in other series too. Um, because he has raced in other series. He's not just raced in Formula One. He just loves racing. He races, he's raced cars his whole life. He's 39. I don't know if I mentioned that or not, but that's another part of, um, why this is a little bit of a big deal. And we'll get into a little bit of Renault's decision to bring him back, whether that was, um, best for the team, bring back a super experienced 39 year old driver, or should they have brought in someone younger? Anyway, we'll get to that down the road. So what I wanted to do now is move into a little bit of the history of Fernando's career. Again, this is just to give you an idea of who this guy is, why this is such a big deal that he's come back to the sport, and kind of touch on some of the most important things about him and his time in Formula One. So let's get right into it with 2002, his first year at Renault as a test driver. That's about all that you can say about 2002. He was a test driver at Renault. He earned the seat in 2003. And by 2005, he was a world champion. He was world champion again in 2006. So back-to-back world drivers championships in 2005 and 2006 with Renault. Now, interestingly, and this is perhaps one of the first in a series of, again, controversial decisions that Fernando makes, he wins two back-to-back world drivers championships with Renault and then decides to leave. So that's an interesting decision from the first in the first place and goes to McLaren for 2007 where his teammate is a young rookie by the name of Lewis Hamilton by the way. So at McLaren he was intent on winning another world championship which did not happen as you know because I told you he was a two-time world champion not three-time world champion and he's already won his two world championships and he's not going to win another one which is kind of sad he won two very early in his career and then Never again. Um, In 2007 at McLaren, a couple of things happened that were already, you know, in his fourth year in the sport, already he had become a thorn in the side of his teammates and his team. Okay, so for example, one thing that he famously did was he disagreed with a decision Hamilton made, and I'm not exactly sure what it was. I think Hamilton disobeyed a team order during qualifying to, like, let Fernando pass him and Hamilton didn't, you know, which sometimes happens, you know, that's not super uncommon. I'm not trying to defend Hamilton here. His team told him to do something, and he didn't do it. But so when they were coming back into the pit lane for tires, you know, the time is ticking down on qualifying. They only have a minute left. They only have 40 seconds left. They only have 30 seconds left. They got to get back out onto the track so they can put in one more lap. Fernando is first into the pits. Hamilton is literally just parked right behind him waiting. They put new tires on on Fernando's car, refuel the car, and then he just sits there. He doesn't drive away. He just sits there to waste Hamilton's time so that Hamilton cannot put in another lap in qualifying, and Fernando ends up on pole position because Hamilton doesn't have a chance to pip him for pole. Now look, teammates, you know, 
I don't know what the word is. They they mess with each other like that sometimes, depending on their relationship with each other. But this was already just a super bold and controversial thing to just directly interfere with your teammate like that. In fact, famously, Ron Dennis threw his headset, smashed his headset onto the ground or something on television. So it was really obvious he was upset about it. And then there was footage of him... Um, uh, Ron Dennis being the McLaren uh, boss at the time, uh, very famous and successful McLaren, longtime McLaren boss, Ron Dennis. Uh, and then there was footage of him on TV um, berating Fernando, you know, in the in the in the garage. So so this was already like pretty controversial and not very nice thing to do for Fernando, and it made him look like kind of a jerk. So later in that year, it comes out that. And this is kind of complicated, so I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of detail. But long story short is that McLaren was in possession of stolen information from Ferrari at least, and maybe also Renault. I, again, I can't remember all of the details, but there was a former Ferrari employee who, had na who now worked at McLaren who had basically stolen information from Ferrari and brought it to McLaren, It like I, I think illegally, like not even just against the rules of the sport, but maybe even borderline illegal. I don't know about that actually, but it was extremely illegal within the confines of Formula One. This became known as Spygate. If you ever hear anyone talk about Spygate in Formula One, that's what they're talking about. 2007 McLaren Ferrari um, scandal. So Fernando gets in the middle of this because according to Ron Dennis and according to people on the team, Fernando comes to McLaren and basically kind of blackmails Ron Dennis and is like, I know that we're cheating and I know you have possession of shady information and I have emails that prove it. And if you don't do X, Y, Z, and if I don't get ABC, then I'm going to send those emails to the press and basically just blackmails or threatens his boss. This becomes all twisted and Ron Dennis says, you know, there's no such emails, I don't believe you, and then later it comes out that there are, but maybe they didn't come from Fernando. Fernando denies all of this, by the way, of course, which he would. He said he had no idea about the cheating, about any of the stolen information. So so within one year, he just totally burned a bridge at McLaren. He, and with Ron Dennis, he... <laughs> Uh, Ron, th th that was it. He just one year at McLaren and he was gone. That he, he couldn't get along with Hamilton. Um, Hamilton and 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 um, and Alonso did battle for the drivers' championship again that year, but it, Kimi Raikkonen ended up winning it, which is cool. That was Kimi's world championship in two thousand seven. Um, with Ferrari, by the way, Ferrari's last world championship. And uh, yeah, so so he can't get along with his teammate. He can't get along with his boss. Uh, blackmailing and threatening members of the team to get what he wants and stuff. And 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 uh, he's gone. So where does he go? Back to Renault for 2008 and 2009. Two more seasons at Renault. Once again, he's immediately embroiled in one of the biggest controversies in Formula One history. So Spygate. 2007 and 2008, we have Crashgate. Literally back-to-back -back years, Fernando Alonso is involved in, like I said, two of 
history, Formula One history's greatest controversies. And Crashgate basically goes something like this. The 2008 Singapore Grand Prix, Fernando qualifies poorly and is way at the back. I, I don't remember why. Maybe he had engine failure or something. I don't remember. But long story short, he had a very um, uh, inopportune position to start the race. And Singapore is a track where it's very hard to overtake on track. It's a street circuit. And so most of the overtaking is done during pit stops. Well, Fernando, starting near the back of the field, knows he's probably not going to drive his way up through the top of the field. So he makes a very, very early pit stop like an unusual pit stop in the sense that strategically it just didn't make very much sense at the time. And everyone was kind of like, well, that was risky. I mean, it'll work out for him if we can get a safety car. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So when a safety car comes out, typically what happens in Formula One, I say typically 99% of the time, everybody will take a pit stop. Because during that safety car period, which happens when there's debris on the track from a wreckage or, or just any time that they need to slow the cars down for safety reasons, then because the cars are going more slowly around the track, you can get away with making a pit stop and not lose as much position on the track. So it's really it, it, uh, it, the most opportune time during a race to make a pit stop. So in a race like Singapore where you're not going to pass people on track, when a safety car comes out, go in, make a pit stop, come back out, hopefully you've passed a few people in the pit lane or something like that. Okay, so Fernando makes this really unusual pit stop where he pits and comes out and, and everyone's like, well, that didn't make much sense. I wonder why they did that. I guess it'll just work out for them if there's a safety car. Well, guess who crashes? Fernando's teammate. Fernando's teammate was ordered by the team, Renault, to wreck on purpose. He intentionally wrecked his car so that a safety car would come out. This means all the cars in front of Alonso would come into the pits. He would zoom up to the front of the field because he doesn't need to pit. He already pitted. And so everybody in front of him pits. Fernando zooms to the front of the field. Everybody comes back out of the pits. Guess who's in first place? Guess who wins the 2008 Singapore Grand Prix? That's right, Fernando Alonso. At the time, it just looked like a lucky strategy decision. But it wasn't long until it came out that, indeed, they had cheated. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, intentionally ordered his teammate to wreck to bring out a safety car. So, again, Fernando denies that he had any role in it, no part in it. Um, that's, I'll just leave that up to you whether you believe that or not. Maybe by the end of the episode, you'll have formed, a, formed an opinion about whether or not Fernando uh, seems like the kind of guy who would admit to wrongdoing. Um, so, 2008, 2009 with Renault. Then in 2010, he leaves Renault for Ferrari, um, drives for Ferrari for four years, 2010 to 2014. Um, there's a brief window of time in like 2009 and 2010 where he had opportunities to go to Honda, which became Braun GP, which became 
Mercedes. And so he missed on that opportunity. And then he also had an opportunity to go to Red Bull, um, or Red Bull, if you're an American, Red Bull, if you're British, um, and missed on that opportunity. I guess just chose not to. Again, I'm not sure about the details, but he chose Ferrari. And, uh, you know, Ferrari is the kind of team that if they offer you a spot, most drivers take it. But I just kind of want to put my finger on the fact that, like, this man has already changed teams four times in four years. So he went from Renault in 2006, McLaren in 2007, Renault again, Ferrari. But So by 2010, he had been on Renault, McLaren, Renault, Ferrari. And one of the things that becomes a trend in Fernando's career is that he is kind of constantly at the wrong place at the wrong time. For example, he leaves McLaren in 2007. In 2008, McLaren wins the world drive, double world championship. So the year after he leaves, McLaren are world champions. He goes to Ferrari, 2010 to 2014. Um, again, he has a huge falling out with his team at Ferrari. Um, who becomes very openly critical of the cars by the end of his tenure there. This is one of the worst times for Ferrari, aside from maybe now and the early 90s or whenever they struggled back in that day before I watched Formula One. But Ferrari has gone through periods of time where they struggled, and this was one of them. And so he joined Ferrari at the exact wrong time. Um, by the end of 2014, Fernando's become so critical of the team that they just like, can't get along enough to extend his contract. He tells them that he wants to leave, which is wild because for someone like uh, Fernando to drive at Ferrari, which is, you know, historically the most dominant team in Formula One, every, you know, most drivers just really want to drive for Ferrari if they can. And once you get in the seat, you try to keep it if you can, you know, and hope they come around, hope they come good. Well, Fernando just decides he wants to leave. So, um, allegedly there is a organized swap or an offered swap, I should say, between the team boss at Ferrari and Toto Wolf, the team boss at Mercedes for Hamilton. Hamilton swap with Alonso. Hamilton goes to Ferrari where he says he's always wanted to drive since he's a little kid. Alonso would go to Mercedes. Um... Apparently, Total Wolf um, just wouldn't have it. He he. At this point, Alonso had caused so much drama, and and was so difficult to manage in the paddock and in the garage that um, Toto was just like, "No, nah, we're good. We, we're going to stick with Hamilton." And it was obviously the right decision. I will say, during this time, I kind of glazed over this that these are the years that Red Bull win four straight world championships, drivers, and constructors. So had he taken that drive, maybe he would be a multiple-time world champion. Had he gone to Braun, which became Mercedes, maybe he would have more world championships. Had he stayed at McLaren the first time, maybe he would have more world championships. So 2014, he leaves Ferrari. Ferrari start coming good again. We see by 2017 that they have a car that could win world championships, maybe especially if someone like Fernando was driving it. It's worth mentioning that during this time, even though Fernando didn't have the best car on the grid, by far, he still came so, so close during his time at Ferrari to winning three world championships. 
I think he finished second like three times in a row by just one point or just barely any points at all to Red Bull and Sebastian Vettel. Um, so it just goes to show during his time at Ferrari, this is a controversial time, a disappointing time for him, for Ferrari fans, but it's also kind of, it glorifies him a lot because he took a car that was a dog and just wrung its neck, drove it to the front of the field and almost won a world championship in it anyway, because that's how good he is, because that's how good he is. I mean, it would almost be like, if you're paying close attention to the sport this year, you know that the Ferrari is really, really struggling on pace. It's a second slower than it was last year, where most of the other cars are faster than they were last year. It would be almost as if he got in the car, he got in Charles or Seb's car this year, and drove it to a world championship, or came in second place in the world championship, which which would be remarkable. So, in 2014, he leaves Ferrari for McLaren. Again, they have a new team boss now, so he's not working for Ron Dennis anymore. Um, Otherwise, he probably wouldn't have been able to go back to McLaren. I don't think they would have wanted him. Um, Again, in his time at McLaren in 2015 to 2018, they just really, really struggled. Really massively struggled. Um, They had Honda engines that were new back returning to the sport after a long period of being out of the sport. Honda, very successful engine manufacturer historically, but they really struggled to make this new um, V6 hybrid engine that was new introduced in 2014. They were just kind of behind the game and they didn't, they weren't able to match with the likes of Renault and um, Mercedes, obviously, or Ferrari engines. And, and Honda, um, just was unable to produce an engine that was even reliable enough to finish races. And it was, it was, it was a real, real tragedy. McLaren was the worst team besides Williams, I guess, at this point. And Williams was even probably beating McLaren in the early, in 2014, 15. But, um, so this was really, this was, this was the beginning of the end for Fernando. It looked like he was getting up there in age. Um, he was driving for a team, that just couldn't even finish races, was finishing dead last, 18th, 19th, 17th, 16th, 15th, you know, just, it, Alonso is not the kind of driver to just drive at the back, let's put it that way. So, of, of course, during this time, he's extremely critical of his team, to the public, to the press, to the media, on the radio, um, because that's kind of just how he is, he's, some people might just call it being outspoken, and some people might call it I don't know, manipulate, I don't know, I don't know how, how to interpret it besides just kind of saying he does the kind of thing like complaining over the radio that his Honda engine is a GP2 engine. That's one of the more famous things he said on the radio, GP2 being the feeder series for Formula One, like a minor league engine, basically. Um, he also, at, at one point during his tenure in McLaren, he's had a couple of huge wrecks in his career, which is not, it's neither here nor there. It's just kind of worth, worth mentioning that during this time, I think it was 2015 or 16, he had um, one of the most scary looking crashes you're going to ever see in a Formula One car in Australia, where his car just high speed goes tumbling, 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 tumbling. Um, through the gravel and into a wall. Um, in fact, at he Alonso later reported that, and there's footage of this. You can see if you watch the wreck. He he wrecks just immensely, 
And, you know, most of the time when drivers wreck, they, they'll just stay in the car, you know, someone will come over the radio and, and, um, uh, so are you okay? Are you okay? Can you hear me? You know, but they'll just stay in the car cause there's no real reason to get out in a hurry unless it's on fire or, um, yeah. So, so, or you, you sometimes the cars can electrocute you too. So you have to be careful about how you get out of the cars. But, um, Fernando just like rushed out of the car. He, he, he was shaken up big time. You could tell, you know, he looked like punch drunk kind of, he got out of the car and sort of stumbled a few steps and then just sat down. Um, but man, he said he knew his mom was watching on TV and, uh, that just really gets me. He just knew his mom saw that wreck. And so he had, that was his first thought was I got to get out of this car. So she knows him. Okay. So that was another sort of famous Fernando Alonso incident. Um, not a good one and certainly nothing to hold against him at all. It's just part of his history. Um, his massive shunt in Australia. Um, so in 2018, he leaves McLaren and quote-unquote retires from the sport, which we now know was not a real retirement. In fact, Sebastian Vettel said something like, see you later, Fernando, until you come back. You know, like, goodbye, Alonso, until you come back, or something, because he just knew he would be back. Um, he leaves, and, and, and during his, his uh, what's, sabbatical from Formula One, I guess, 2019 uh, and 20, um, 18, 19, 20, I guess, uh, he races in the World Endurance Championship, which he won two times in a row, though it's worth mentioning that the team he raced for was easily the most dominant team on the grid, like, you think Mercedes is dominant, Toyota and the World Endurance Championship is, like, literally untouchable, they have technology on their cars that other cars don't have, they just cannot be beat, so, Yes, he won the World Endurance Championship twice, but he also did it in the car that was going to win it anyway, kind of no matter what. But anyway, so he did that, uh, participated in some other endurance races, 24-hour of Daytona, sports car race. He also did 24-hour um, 24 24-hour of Le Mans, uh, which he won. In fact, I think he won it twice. Um, this is a period of time where we're not sure what Fernando's really up to, if he's going to come back to Formula One, though, again, most people assume he will if he gets an opportunity to drive for a good team. Um, he's pursuing what is known in his off time from Formula One as the triple crown of motorsports. The triple crown of motorsports is winning in Monaco, winning Le Mans, the 24-hour of Le Mans, Again, Monaco being a Formula One race, Le Mans being an endurance race, and then winning the Indianapolis 500 in IndyCar. Um, those are just considered kind of the crown jewels of motorsport. And only, I think only like four or three or four people have ever won all three. So to some people, this is a huge, huge deal. To other people, it's not a huge deal, and we won't go into like why and who cares or whatever. That's, I guess, a discussion for another podcast. But long story short is he tries the Indy 500 um, a couple of times. One time in 2017 when he was still racing with McLaren Honda, and he did okay. I think his car failed, and he had to retire. Um, and then in 2019... This was after he had called Honda's GP2 engines and said all that trash about him in the media and how terrible they were. This is what I'm talking about, burning bridges. He burned um, 
bridges so bad. I keep saying burn bridges. Need to think of another term for that. He he <laughs> he made Honda so upset. <laughs> I guess I should say with him that they refused to work with him in IndyCar. Honda is a primary engine supplier. Uh, for like Andretti Motorsports, for example, and they're really good in IndyCar. So if you can go into IndyCar and you can say, hey, by the way, I'm Fernando Alonso. I'm one of the greatest race drivers of all time. I would love to drive your car in the Indy 500. Can I please? Maybe we'll win together. Most, you know, a lot of times owners of teams are going to try to make that happen. But because he had made Honda so upset, he, 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 like a third of the teams he just couldn't work with because they had Honda engines. So he had to go work with a team that had a Chevy engine, which is not the end of the world, but it just goes to show you that the man's mouth gets him into trouble. The man's mouth paints him into corners, right? You know, he's, he's stuck with a limited number of choices because he's been so rude to Honda in the past. Um, so in 2019, he races in Indy, or he tries to race in Indy, I should say, but he fails to qualify, which uh, I also did not qualify for the Indy 500 in 2019, so we have that in common. Um, now, that brings us back to this year. Um, when the Daniel Ricciardo announces he's going to leave Renault for McLaren. In fact, there are some parallels between Ricciardo's career and... Uh, and Fernando's career, not their personalities. I think there's very few per, uh, parallels between their personalities besides maybe extreme competitiveness. But um, Daniel Ricciardo leaves Renault, leaves Red Bull for Renault, leaves Renault for McLaren. Um, was it the right decision? Is it the right time? We don't know. It's yet to, yet to be seen. And immediately there's a vacancy at the Renault team. Well, Fernando's raced for Renault. Fernando's won two world championships with Renault. Um... Fernando's raced with Renault twice, actually. It wouldn't be unusual for Fernando to come back to Renault, right? And everybody starts whispering, is Fernando coming back? Is Fernando coming back? Well, Fernando's also said that he wanted to return to a top team. Renault is not a top team. Not right now. And here's where this gets a little interesting. Because, as we know, that's why I'm talking to you today, he did come back to Renault. He will race for Renault next year. But is Fernando going to be okay finishing fifth in the dry, in the constructors' standings? Is he going to be okay battling Sergio Perez and and, and Aston Martin cars um, for the midfield championship? You know, no. I mean, the answer is no. He's not. And so, Renault have publicly proclaimed. Um, on several occasions, how you know, been been very bold about their um, goals and aspirations. We're gonna get a podium by this year. We're gonna be champions by this year. We're gonna be winning races by this year. Um, and so far, they've had to backtrack on every single one of those predictions. Cyril Abitable's crystal ball is foggy or cracked or something because they just have not lived up to expectations. Uh, there's a whole host of reasons for that. We just won't go into right now, but suffice it to say that Renault have uh, over-promised and under-delivered on the last, their, their most recent um, uh, few years in the sport. So, Fernando's coming to a team that now 
is said thing is saying things like this is a quote from Cyril Abitable, um, the managing director, or team boss at uh, at Renault. He said, the signing of Fernando Alonso is part of Renault's plan to continue its commitment. There was talk of Renault even leaving the sport, so it's part of Renault's plan to continue its commitment to F1 and this is the key part to return to the top of the field. So once again, Renault are coming out and making these bold predictions and claims about we're going to return to the top of the field. We're going to, you know, we're going to prepare for the best possible conditions. We want a culture of winning and, uh, you know, Fernando wants that too. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, that's what Fernando's there to do is to drag that team up the standings and make them better. And he will because they have to meet his demands. They just have to. He's going to put so much pressure on them to meet his demands, make that car better, which they will. He's good enough to help make them better. But how long will it last if they have another fourth place and then a fifth place? You know, it's, it, I'm, just, I'm just so curious. I'm so interested to see how um how long it is how long does it take before fernando starts complaining to the media again before he starts saying oh the renault engine is a gp2 engine and stuff because the renault engine isn't as strong as the mercedes or ferrari engine and he knows that he has to know that so the last kind of point to touch on i think before i let you digest all of this and decide for yourself whether you like fernando alonso or not is that his teammate, Esteban Ocon, Frenchman, driving for the French team, Renault, obviously, um, also has a bit of a history of not getting along well with his teammates, specifically Sergio Perez at what was then Force India's now Racing Point, where they came together on track many times, publicly disagreed with each other, they kind of had a open public feud for the, their tenure together, uh, Sergio and Esteban. So Esteban has openly praised the decision, said, I'm happy to work with Fernando. It'd be exciting. Well, that's not ex his exact words, but you know, he's, he's supportive of it. Some people would probably say they don't want to work with Fernando Alonso as now, you know, why, you know, whether that's a driver or a team boss or an engineer or a mechanic, or, you know, I don't want to work with that guy. He's too difficult. He's too much trouble. He's too much drama. You know, he divides people. He doesn't unite people. And, um, but Esteban has said the opposite. So to be thrilled to have him as a teammate, bring it on, let's do it. Um, all the right things. Um, he's, he's said he grew up watching Fernando race, which is kind of interesting to just note that we're in an era where drivers, that's, that's a reality. Um, and, and I'm just, again, I'm just so interested to see how this plays out because how long will it be before Esteban and Fernando um, don't get along? Let's just say that because both of these, both of these characters have that reputation a little bit, a little bit with, with Esteban, you know, he has, he doesn't have nearly the same history in the sport as Fernando. So he hasn't cultivated that reputation quite as strongly or as harshly as Fernando has, but it is there, it is there a little bit. And so it would be interesting just to see, how uh, how that develops over the coming years, or a year, or two, or three, or however many it is. Um, should they have chosen him? Should they have gone for a 39-year-old? 
who probably doesn't have too many more years in the sport. On one hand, you have his vast, vast experience, expertise, his knowledge he's going to bring. You have the demands and pressure he's going to put on the team to perform and live up to his expectations, and all of those things are uh, unbeatable um, when it comes to choosing a driver. He's also just, like I said, just darn fast. He is rapid. He is just one of the best drivers in the history of the sport, so you got that going for you too. Um, but Renault also have a couple of young drivers um, in F2. I think they're both in F2. One of them might be in F3 and one of them's in F2, or they're both in F2, who are, are really highly touted uh, young drivers. One of them is Chinese Guan Yu Zhou, um, which would be a boon to Renault um, from a publicity standpoint and marketing standpoint to have a Chinese driver in there, open them up to that market. That's kind of something that's in the pipeline. You know, that'll be a thing eventually. Guan Yu Zhou in a Renault, probably within the next two or three years. It just depends on, you know, is Fernando blocking him now? And so there is some discussion um, about whether or not they should have gone the young driver route or with Fernando. But he's back. One way or the other, he's back. And, um, after saying all of this and after kind of sitting here thinking through it and listening to myself talk about it, I think this is not the point of this show isn't just to give you my opinion, but I will. Um, I think it's good that he's back. I, I think that just because he's so talented, just to have another world champion on the grid doesn't hurt. You know, it never hurts. Um, now we have Seb, world champion, Lewis, world champion, Alonso, world champion. You know, we got three world champions on the grid. That's cool. That's uh, that's good for the sport, and it'll be fun to watch Fernando race the Renault again. It'll be it 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 adds a whole layer of intrigue to the Renault development saga, and will they be able to live up to his expectations, etc. So with that, I will leave you alone, and uh, look forward to speaking to you again. Before I do, I just want to mention that, like all podcasts, it helps us if you like us. It helps us if you subscribe to us, leave ratings, leave comments, all that good stuff. Also, you can follow us on social media at Formula Fun Pod. That's on Instagram and Twitter. So that's about it. Hope you guys have a great day.